Well, that's great. Thank you, Keith. We have uh, shared lots of great memories together, lots of ministry, and God is good. And it is good to be back with you again. Uh, I was uh, at a function yesterday that I'm going to be officiating at a wedding this afternoon, and it was with a number of people from both Redeemer and Cornerstone, and it literally feels like about five minutes has passed. It really does. It feels like no time has passed whatsoever since I've been here uh, among you, and uh, it's great to see your faces again. So thank you for your welcome. Alex and I are excited to be here, and um, we spent 10 years just up the road, and and a number of uh, times we would be here with you, and our daughter Alyssa, if you've been here for a while, was uh, leading worship here as well, and she's still on staff at Cornerstone. So we feel very much connected to Aurelia. We feel that uh, we know the heartbeat of this place, Cornerstone and Redeemer, and uh, you're in our prayers. And if you wanted to, to actually figure out what South Shore was like, I think, look around you, because to me, South Shore feels very much like this. Uh, We are in rented space, uh, we are about your size, and we're about the same demographic. So it feels like I'm home again today in in two kinds of ways, because it feels like home and because you're so much like South Shore. And God's doing a great work, and so uh, I'm excited to be here and and, uh, to share God's word with you this morning. I'm also very excited that that Pastor Levi is going to be taking my place and ministering there and preaching as, uh, as our team leads. We're going to uh, talk today, as we open God's Word, about the topic of worship. Christ followers are worshipers, and that is our purpose. Our purpose is to, because this is why God has made us, to be in relationship with Jesus Christ and to respond to Him in worship. That's what we've been called to do all the time. That's why we've been made. We are made to be in relationship with our God, as worshipers. A.W. Tozer writes about this, and we ask the question, why did Christ come? This is what Tozer said. He said, Christ came in order that he might make worshipers out of rebels, in order that he might restore us again to the place of worship we knew when we were first created. There's a lot in that statement, that he might make worshipers out of rebels. We we, were, we always are worshipers, but we were worshiping the wrong thing. We were in rebellion against God. And he's restoring us in Christ to who we were meant to be, to the worship we knew when we were first created. That's our trajectory. That's our journey. That's our path. We need to hear that through the Son of God. God is restoring you and I to be who we were meant to be and to do what we were meant to do. So what does it mean for us to do this, to worship our King? That's what Psalm 100 is going to teach us this morning. That's where we're going to find ourselves. So I invite you to take your Bibles. Let's open to Psalm 100. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we hear the word of the Lord. Let's stand together. Hear now the word of the Lord, Psalm 100. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth... Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. 
With your Bibles open, Psalm 100 has a purpose. You find it in the title. It says it is a song for giving thanks. In all of the 150 Psalms, it's the only one that has this title. As if the Lord was saying to us, if you want to grow in what it means to be a worshiper and to be someone who gives thanks, plant yourself in Psalm 100. How can we summarize what this psalm is saying? It calls believers and it calls all nations to come before the Lord who is the King and to bring Him what He deserves. A joyful offering of overflowing praise and thanksgiving. If you listen to those words carefully, you'll know it's a song for people who are happy in God. We're happy in God and it directs our corporate worship to be characterized by joy. To be characterized by joy based upon two things. Why should we be joyful? Based upon two things. Because, number one, of who God is. And second, because of what he has done for us in Christ. We can stop right here and right now and say, what is this saying to us about what corporate worship should look like? Well, corporate worship are people, it's about people who love Jesus coming together to bring a joyful offering from their hearts to the one who rescued them from death and brought them to life. That's our motivation, that's our focus, and that's what we do to bring a joyful offering. And that's a place that we want to be. We want to be in a place of joy. We want to be in God's presence, a place where Christ is exalted, where together the people of God are edified, and where those who don't know Jesus come into a place where we worship, and they're evangelized. When they see the gospel at work, They see and they experience the power of God and they come to faith in Christ. That's the place we want to be. I want to give you some context of this psalm just before we jump into looking at the structure of it. Psalm 100 is generally understood to be the climax of the psalms that start in Psalm 93 all the way up to 99, which speak about the kingship of the Lord. The structure of Psalm 100 is easy to see if you look at it, so take a look at your Bible. It's often divided into two parts. And these two parts have parallel sections. You can see there's two sections. Verses 1 to 3 make one section. And verses 4 and 5 make the second section. In each section, there's a parallel structure. It starts with this. It's a a call to worship, followed by a reason why. Verses 1 to 2 is the call to worship, followed in verse 3 by the reason why. The second part of the psalm, verse 4, is the call to worship. And then the reason why in verse 5. If you want to break it down even farther, here's what we can say about this. Here's what the psalmist is saying to us. He's saying, church, do this because you know that. The call to worship, do this because you know that. If we turn it around, that sentence around, here's what it's saying to us. The knowledge of God demands a response from God's people. The knowledge of God demands a response from God's people. So here's how we're going to break down the message today. We're going to do it like this. Know this as an imperative. We're going to know these things, and because we know this, we're going to do that. We're going to start by understanding what God wants us to see about him, followed by what we should do as a response in worship. So here's four things. Why do we worship joyfully? We worship joyfully because of who he is. And here's the four things that God wants us to know about him. The first one is this. We praise him because he is good. You see that in verse 3. Know That the Lord, he is God. Remember, we're starting with this structure. We're going to know this about God. And because of these things that we know that God reveals to us, we're going to do these things. The first one is this. 
We praise Him because He is good. Know that the Lord, He is God. There's something we need to know and we need to believe about God to be personally, intimately acquainted with this God, experientially, that there is a God and that He is the reason for it all. He's the Lord. In the original language, the word for the Lord is the word Yahweh. It is God's sacred name, His holy name. The name that He used to reveal Himself to Moses at the burning bush. He's a relational God. When He said to Moses, I am who I am. He is the self-existent, eternal God. So how do we know God? We know Him by what He's done. We know Him by what He says about Himself. Particularly in this context with Moses, how God has revealed Himself, is He's the God who took His people out of slavery and freed them to worship Him. How do we translate that into a New Testament context? The Lord has come near to us, the relational God, to show us the way out of our slavery, the slavery of sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the God that we are to know. Think maybe with me to the Old Testament at Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18. There was a prophet Elijah, and there was a showdown between him and the prophets of Baal, the 450 of them. And the issue at stake was, who as, whoever is, is the Lord, worship him. And obviously the people were worshiping the wrong gods, the prophets of Baal were leading people astray. And Elijah came along under the power of God, and he said, I want you to know who God is and worship him. And so... Perhaps you know the story, there was an altar and wood, and it was drenched with, with, uh, with water as Elijah came along, but even before then, the prophets of Baal were, were calling on their God to send fire, and that was the showdown, that was the contest, and nothing happened. And Elijah called on the Lord, that's when he dumped the water on just to, to make it a little more challenging, and God sent fire from heaven and consumed uh, the, the wood and the offering that was there, and proved that he was God. And here's what the Bible says in 1 Kings 18.39. When all the people saw it, when they saw the power of God revealed, they fell on their face. That's, that's a posture of worship. And said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. At that moment, the people knew who God was. The one and only true God. Church, we are called to know that there is one God. That he is the Lord. The God of all power. Our worship must be intelligent. We can't worship what we don't know. We need to know whom we worship and why we worship. That's what the Bible does for us. So we study the scriptures. We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our worship is going to grow in proportion to the more we understand about God from his word. This makes sense on a human level, doesn't it? We can't praise the excellencies of someone that we don't know. Let's talk about basketball. Talk about LeBron James. If you know nothing about basketball, you have no reason to say this guy is great. How many people know a little bit about basketball in the room this morning? Okay, so for those of you who know basketball, you know that LeBron James is a pretty big deal. If you don't know who he is, if I told you his stats, we watched some footage, talked about his awards, his team's victories, you'd probably say, this guy's pretty awesome, he's pretty amazing. You could praise his abilities because you knew him. The more we get to know of God and see his glory and his power, the more we will respond in being amazed at how great he is. So what are some things that we know about God? We know he's eternal. We know that he's the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the ever-present one. We know that this amazing, awesome, indescribable God is incomprehensible, yet he's knowable because he revealed himself in Jesus Christ. He's come near in the person of his son. 
and he's revealed himself in his word. We get to know this God who, if he hadn't revealed himself to us, we wouldn't know him. The Lord, he is God, and so we joyfully worship. That's the first point. Here's the second one. Psalm 100 goes on to tell us we're to know this, that God is our creator. Look at the next part of verse 3. We are to praise him because he's our creator. Verse 3 says this. It's he who made us, and we are his. As we look around this world, beautiful world, maybe this summer you had a chance to, to be in some nature, camping, seeing some beautiful sunsets, seeing some fish, some deer, whatever it was. And you just know as you look around even this room, God is the maker of everything. He's the maker of you. He's the maker of me. He's the reason for it all. And the reason that we're here today is that he has breathed life into our lungs. He is our creator. And we are made in his image. If we go back to Psalm 139, God is the all-powerful, the life-giving one, the master craftsman who made you and he made me. Alex and I have neighbors across the street who recently had a, a little baby girl. And they, uh, they came home recently with her from the hospital, and they said to us, they haven't stopped staring at her in amazement, this little miracle that is theirs. Parents, you'll know what I'm talking about. What's the response when we see the creation and the handiwork of God? In Psalm 139, David writes this, and again, no surprise to us, what happens when we know God is creator Listen to what it says. The first three words. I praise you. Psalm 139, 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The God who is our powerful creator, who made us and who loves us and constantly cares for us, he is worthy of praise from those he's created. That's our response. We exist. We are alive because God sustains us. Because we are God's will and we are his creation. Our gender, our personality, our gifts, our physicality, this is all God's idea. He made us, and so we praise him. We belong to him. From start to finish, we are his design. Think about that. God wired you and created you and made you who you are, exactly who you are, because that's what he wanted you to be. And because he's our creator, we look to him in dependency. We rely on him because he's the one who gave us life, and he's the one who sustains our life. We've been born physically, we owe our, our life to him, but even more than that, we have been born anew in Jesus Christ. We've been born again. We've been made new creations, and we are alive together because of the power and the grace of our God. The Lord made us, and not we ourselves. The Lord saved us, and not we ourselves. Every breath, every heartbeat are a gift from God, and because of that, we are accountable to him and dependent upon him for everything. Think about who you were apart from Jesus Christ. We lived autonomously. Who was the boss of you? You were. Who made the rules? You did. Before Christ, that's how everybody lives. That we will not acknowledge our maker, our creator. We are the ones who want to live our own lives in rebellion, against God, and disobedience. And what an amazing thing that Christ does when he saves us. We recognize who the boss is. We recognize who's in charge and who gets to make the rules. Think about how life was when you were in charge. It wasn't so good. We ran our head into a few brick walls. In Jesus Christ, we are saved. And we understand why we are 
who we are because of our maker. St. Augustine writes this. He said, you have made us for yourself, a very, very famous quote from him. You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We are not who we are and what we are because of what we've done ourselves. It's because of the goodness and the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are his workmanship. Who you are, who you're becoming is all God. He's our creator. And what is our rightful response, the created being to the creator? It's joyful worship. John writes this in Revelation chapter 4. Again, the response is worship. He says, worthy are you, O Lord our God, listen, to receive glory and honor and power. What's the reason why? Simply this, for you created all things, that's us, and by your will they existed and were created. The powerful creator who holds us and sustains us is worthy of worship because of who he is. We're to know that. And so we say we're not our own. We belong to him. And we have a one-note ambition. What's that one-note ambition in our life? It's to live for his glory. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That didn't used to be our reason for living. Before, it was glory to me. It was how can I look good? How can I get people to like me? How can I be my own boss? But now in Jesus Christ, we pledge our total devotion, our lives, our breath, to bring glory and honor to the God who made us in his image. The Lord is our creator, and so we joyfully worship Here's the third thing we see in this text. The third thing is this. We praise him because he is our shepherd. He's our shepherd. In the Psalms, oftentimes there's this fascinating literary device that actually unlocks the whole psalm. And in Psalm 100, there's a phrase right at the center. And the psalmist often takes a concept, a phrase, a word, and puts it right in the center of the psalm, which is an interpretive key to unlocking everything else. So in Psalm 100, in fact, this happens. There's a phrase that is at the structural center. And I want to read it to you and tell you what it is. Look at verse 3 with me. The phrase is this, or the verse is this. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So you're wondering what part of that is the center? I'm going to tell you. Two words. His people. His people is the very center of this psalm. It's the interpretive grid. So everything that leads up to it is pointing to that phrase, his people, that's who we are. And because we understand that we're his people, everything that follows that phrase in the psalm is what God wants us to know and what he wants us to do. God has made us to be in relationship with himself. This God has covenanted with us to be in relationship with us as our shepherd, to care for us. Jesus, the good shepherd, said this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Christ, who is our shepherd, came looking for us. Why are you a believer in Jesus Christ today? Finding God was not your idea. God came looking for you. He came looking for us, and we have been found by God. Think of Jesus' parable. He left the 99 to go looking for the one. He came looking for us. Our shepherd sought us as lost sheep, and he brought us back home to be with him forever. You and I are rescued, we're safe, we're forever in God's care. Because in his sovereign grace, he set his love upon us. He chose us. Amen? 
And so what does our faithful shepherd do now? He feeds us. He leads us. He guides us. He protects us. And he's going to bring us safely home. Think of Psalm 23. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness, who protects us, who causes us to rest, who keeps us. Peter talks about the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2.9. He says that you are a chosen race. He's chosen you. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And that's, that's the truth. That's the indicative part. That's who we are. And yet again, in the New Testament, we see, well, what do we do because we know this? What do we, we do because we know that we've been chosen, that he's our shepherd? Peter says this, that you, the purpose of, the reason why, that you may, listen, proclaim the excellencies of this God. Another translation says that you may declare the praises. Scripture from start to finish says because you know these things, because you understand that that God is God, that God is your creator, that God is your shepherd, time and time again it says the response is this, that you, that I, that we might praise him and give him the glory that he deserves. That we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what we do, brothers and sisters. And so we remember the mercy of God and the amazing grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news right now for today. It'll be good news tomorrow. And it'll be good news every day of this life and on into eternity forever. The Lord is our shepherd. He laid down his life for us. And so we joyfully worship. The final thing we need to know is found in verse 5. We praise him because he is good. Verse 5, it says this, For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. If someone was asking you about who God is and what the Lord was like, you could summarize this biblically and have great authority. And your answer would be, if someone said to you, what's God like? You could say this, one word, good. God is good. Let's unpack that. This word good This phrase sums up God's character. All of God's perfections, all of his glory, can be summarized in this one concept, goodness. Goodness. Now, when we talk about the word good, you know, that pizza was good, or I had a good day at work, or that was a good show I watched. Biblically, God's goodness is is summing up all of his perfections, all of his greatness, all of his glory, all of his majesty. And so when the Bible says, for the Lord is good, it means so much more than than we use the word good. We are his sheep, the objects of his love were cared for by this shepherd. And David cries out for God's worshipers to have this kind of experience. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And why is that important to us? Partly it's good because when we come together corporately to worship, David is saying in context of let us exalt his name together. That's what Psalm 34 begins with. Magnify the Lord with me. He wants us when we come corporately to worship that it would be joyful. This joyful experience of tasting and seeing of God's goodness again and again and again. Let me ask you this question. How do you see God? How do you see God? Sometimes we think that God is unapproachable. Perhaps at times you feel like God is distant, or maybe that he's stingy, or harsh, or unpredictable. Here's what the Bible says. What's God like? He's good. He's good. How do you know that to be true? 
Where do you see God's goodness? Where do you see God's love displayed most clearly so that you can know, so that you can replace those concepts in your mind of who God is? You see God's love and goodness displayed at the cross. That's what the Bible says. God's love is a proven love, a demonstrated love. Christ died in our place, the innocent for the guilty, the sinless for the sinner. And this love that he showed us at the cross has been ours from eternity and will be ours forever. The Lord is good. That's the forever reason why we praise him, why we are people happy, glad, and joyful in Jesus Christ because God has set his everlasting mercy upon our lives. Do you know that song that we sometimes sing, How Marvelous, How Wonderful, and Our Song, My Song Will Ever Be? How marvelous, how wonderful. Do you know those words? Say it with me. Is my Savior's, say it, love for me. He's good. The Lord is good. And so we praise God for who He is, for all He's made in creation, for how He's redeemed us from the fall. And all of this comes from His love. Look at the end of verse 5 with your Bible. So open. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist is unpacking this idea of goodness. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness is to all generations. Here's what else we see about God. God is unceasingly generous. God is unceasingly generous. The psalmist opens this big idea of God's goodness, telling us about the constancy, the constancy of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. We see the word steadfast love many times in the Bible. It's a translation of the Hebrew word hesed. This is a hugely significant Old Testament word. It means God's faithful covenant love. God's covenant faithfulness is unconditional, unfailing, and his loyal love. That's how God sees you. That's how God relates to you. Faithful, unconditional, unfailing, a loyal love. This love does not disappoint us. This is God's goodness shown to you. God is not like us who make promises and break our promises. God always keeps his promises. Not one of his promises have failed. He's always been faithful, and so we can count on him. And so we worship him. The Lord, our ever-loving and faithful, always God, is good. And so we joyfully worship. Here are the four reasons why we joyfully praise and worship him. Number one, because he's God. Number two, because he's our creator. Third, because he's our shepherd. And fourth, because he's good. And we have the privilege of knowing this God personally and to be changed by him powerfully. As you think about these four characteristics of God, here's what we need to see. These things all point to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther understood this psalm, Psalm 100, that shouldn't surprise us, as pointing to Christ. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 24 said, The law and the prophets, all of the scriptures testify about me. So when we're in Psalm 100 today, this is Jesus Christ. This is him. This is the revelation of Christ. He's come to reveal this God to humanity and to make a way home for a lost world. The gospel is this, that we tried to do it our own way, that we tried to find joy apart from Christ, but we can't do it. In Christ, we realize that we need him, that we are hopeless, that we're powerless without a God, without a Savior, without a rescuer and a redeemer. We can't be autonomous. We need him. And because of our admission, because of his grace, we have confessed Christ as Lord. And we are now on the trajectory to eternal life in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. 
So as we apply this to our lives, I said we are to know this. What was the second part? Therefore, we should what? We should do that. Know this, do that. Those are the four things we should know. Now the psalmist tells us what we should do in response. How do we worship corporately? Four things that we should know. Here's the things that we should do. Look at verse 1. The first thing we're to do is to come. Verse 1 says this, come into his presence. And so you've done that today. Praise God you're here on this long weekend. The word come is the same word as you see in verse 4. That's translated enter. That means the same thing. Come, enter. Come to worship. Come to enjoy the presence of God. And when you come to this place of corporate worship, you're coming from somewhere else. It's a deliberate choice. And so what we do is we prioritize this God-ordained gathering week by week. Thanks be to God that you do. It's the regular rhythm of life. We make this the highlight of our week to come joyfully as God's people together. We come to worship. And what do we come to? Yeah, we come to a place. We come together one to another. But most importantly, more than anything else, I want you to hear this. Why do you come? You come because you're coming to the Lord. You're coming to meet with the Lord. You're coming to worship the Lord. That word too figures in all of this stuff. We come because of Jesus Christ and for Him. To meet with Him. Because of Him. To exalt Him. This is our heartbeat. Believers who are gathering for the purpose of giving praise to Him. And all of us come together to give and to receive. And this gathering that we have, guess what? This gathering is to be seen as a, as a rehearsal, as a foretaste of something that's coming. What do we call that? We call that eternity. We call that heaven. We call that our life in the new heavens and the new earth. When we're going to be before the throne of God. All God's people. Each time on the Lord's Day we come, this is a joyful celebration of what is ahead for all of us. That's the first thing we do as we come. Second thing, verse 1 at the end of that, come into his presence singing. Josh and team, thank you for leading us this morning. You facilitated, you helped us, you encouraged us to sing. We are to come to the Lord and to be engaged in worship. It's the responsibility of every one of you who are here to participate. Worship is something that we do to actively engage in lifting and giving our hearts to Jesus Christ. So you come and you sing. And when you sing, what you're doing is you're, you're lifting your hearts, you're bringing an offering to the Lord who's here in our midst by His Spirit. So how do you come? You come singing. What that means is we need to prime the pump. That means we need to come already on a Sunday morning with the song in our heart. Don't let it start at 5 after 10. Let it start at 8 o'clock in the morning or maybe Saturday night. Get that song going. Put some worship music on on Sunday morning. I have to walk a dog at 6.45 every Sunday morning. And I'm walking through the park and I'm singing to the Lord. That song is beginning to turn into my heart and to get my mind focused on Jesus Christ. Come singing. Prime the pump. And come sing joyfully. Sing joyfully. Some of you go, I'm not really a singer. That's okay. Joyful noise. Don't you love that? You can make a joyful noise. You can squeak. You can squawk. God loves it all. He loves to hear that sound. The worship team is the prompter. So sing joyfully. Your joy in the Lord. And some of you, I just want to stop for a second. Some of you, you say, you know what? I'm not feeling very joyful today. Uh, maybe you didn't get a good enough sleep last night. I got up a little early. I was like an hour and a half short of normal sleep. Some of you are feeling a little tired. Some of you maybe had some challenging things this week. You're not feeling real joyful. Guess what? We don't sing and worship joyfully because of our circumstances. Amen? God is above it all. 
Right? His faithfulness endures. His love endures forever. God doesn't change. His goodness, His love doesn't change. So the Scripture says that God is my exceeding joy. Psalm 43, 4. Joy is not in your circumstances or in how much sleep you have. Your joy is in the Lord. God is my exceeding joy. If you're feeling tired today, if you're feeling discouraged, if you've been battling some stuff, you can still have joy when you say along with the psalmist, God is my exceeding joy. We are joyful people. Here's the third thing we need to, to understand. In the title of the psalm, a psalm of thanks. Verse 4, give thanks to him, bless his name. So we are to thank and praise him. And we could go all day, all week, all month, all year having testimonies. Why we should be thankful to Jesus Christ. Why our hearts should overflow with gratitude. Well, let me give you this one reason. For the most unworthy, that's all of us, the gates of heaven are open wide. Jesus Christ has given his life because he set his love upon you. Made you his son and his daughter. And so we bring our offering of thanksgiving. What should be our tone as saved individuals? Aren't we often prone to grumbling and complaining? Anybody guilty of that from time to time? I know I am. The tone of our lives should be gratitude. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name for how good He is. We are a thankful people to God for who He is and for what He has done for us in Christ. That He loves you. That He died for you. That He's saving you. He's sanctifying you. He's bringing you home. He's given you eternal life. And the psalmist once again says this. Psalm 30, verse 12. He says, I will give thanks to you forever. So your song of thanksgiving, your attitude of thanksgiving right now, today on the 31st of July, that's going to go with you into eternity. So let's practice. Let's get better at it right now. We will be amazed at the grace of God age upon age into eternity. It never gets old. We bless the Lord at all times. Number four, look at verse two. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Aren't you glad that you can take who God made you to be with your experiences, your personality, your abilities, your spiritual gifts, the strength and the energy that you have, and focus all of that on one thing, serving the Lord. Amen? Amen. We spent far too many years, moments, hours, days living for us. The greatest thing you can do is to serve the Lord with who God has made you and made you to be for His glory. He's given you all of these gifts and we respond to Him by serving Him. It's not a drudgery. It's not misery to serve the Lord. It's being who God made us to be and doing what He has designed you to do. He has a purpose. Everyone has a work to do. There's a place for you to serve at RCC. Talk to Pastor Levi. Talk to one of the elders if you don't feel like you're plugged in using your gifts and finding a place to serve here. God has got gifts that He's given you. Serve the Lord. And here's the final one. Comes at the end of verse 1. Maybe you didn't see it. Let's see if you see it as I read it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. What are the next three words? Say it with me. All the earth. What does that mean? All the earth. The psalmist is speaking to the people of God, but it's something that goes beyond here and now and us. To the people who aren't here and don't know Jesus Christ. 
This psalm, Psalm 100, is an evangelistic psalm, as well as the call to corporate worship. This is who we're to be. The psalm moves from the center outward. It starts with God. Know God. Know that He's a shepherd. He's our creator. He's good. And it moves out to us, inviting us in to worship Him. But it moves beyond us to the people of the earth, for people everywhere to worship Him. Some of you have a real global heart. You pray for the nations. You pray for missionaries. This is a global psalm. It's a call to the nations. It's saying, earth, join us in worshiping this true and living God. That's why we evangelize. That's why we pray for the world. That's why we go on missions. And the joy that we experience in worship is not just for us. It's for those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. Who live in discouragement and despair and have no hope and have no joy. And our services should be evangelistic as we talk about the gospel and we preach the gospel and we're reminded of the greatness and the awesome and the might and the holiness of God. And our hope is that as people hear and see our lives and are with us, that they will join us in the song of salvation. Amen? I've got seven neighbors that I'm praying for. I'm praying that God will bring them to know Him. And as that famous statement from John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. We want those who don't know Jesus to come and be worshipers alongside of us and to see the greatness of our God. All the earth is called to join this song. Psalm 86.9 says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. That's not just a hopefulness of the psalmist. That is a done deal. That's going to happen. How do I know that? How do you know that the people you pray for, the countries you pray for, are going to see men and women come to Jesus Christ from all over the world? Because this. Revelation 7-9 says, A great multitude that no one could number from all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is a picture of eternity. God's people gathering at His throne from all of these nations and languages and tribes and tongues. In conclusion, let me say this. Corporate worship is a wonderful gift from God. What an experience we have. There's nothing like it. Nothing like our God. There's no one like Him. There's nothing like this gathering that He invites us to as God's people week by week to come into His presence. We know this, and so we are going to do that. We are going to come, and we're going to come joyfully, and we're going to sing, and we're going to give thanks to Him, and we're going to bless His name, and we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to invite the nations of the earth into this relationship with Jesus Christ. If the psalmist wrote to people over 2,000 years ago to do that, how much more should we, on the other side of the cross, as New Testament believers, how much more who know Jesus Christ, how much more should this be true of us? Should we be superpower, supercharged Psalm 100 people because we understand the cross and the mercy of God? Those who know Jesus, our God, our maker, our creator, our shepherd, will worship him with joy. We are those people. Redeemer, by the grace of God, continue to be this kind of church. And may, by God's grace, it be so more and more. Let's pray.
Lord, it's so good to have these words to declare that you are good, that your love endures forever, and that we understand, we know this to be true. We know you through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I know that when we see you, our hearts will not be able to contain the joy of your presence, the joy of being with you and seeing your glory. And so, Lord, would you give us a taste of that? I pray, Lord, that we would taste and see that you are good and worship you as we ought and give you the glory that you deserve. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for worship. Thank you for making us to be in relationship with you. Help us to be these joyful worshipers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.